So hello everyone and welcome to How to Get Loads of Marks. Uh, joining me in the virtual studio today I have Chris Wares. Hello Chris. Good morning everyone. Hi. Good morning and um, maybe let everybody know what your what your role is at Pearson College and, and why you, I might have got you on the podcast. Uh, so I am uh, Head of Library Services and um, libraries are, are, are uh, an important part of uh, any bit of research. Um, you're going to need to dig around in the library uh, in order to find good materials um, to support your um, uh, your research papers. So um, perhaps we'll perhaps uh, talk a little bit about how to make the most of those library resources. Excellent, fantastic. Yeah. Other than the uh, students at Leeds University, where obviously I know the, the student bar is called the library, um, but generally that library <laughs> focus is. Uh, is where we want to be. Yeah. So yeah, fantastic. And um, and obviously the library nowadays might not be a large brick building full of slowly moulding books, but would instead be something digital. So we can maybe talk a little bit about how to get how to get the most out of that yes. newer kind of library as well. Fantastic. Um, so the one thing I always start off with is is what are your what are your pet peeves or what are the things that you see students doing that you really wish you could you could shake them and say don't do that that's 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 more work for you or it's not getting the most out of what you, what you could get from the library. Um, let me think. Uh, uh, number one is uh, not keeping track of what you've read because often people have read a really good article and then uh, got to the end of their research. Uh, and then like, oh, what was it? And then there's, it's like the the big blue book or um, whatever. So um, uh, that's well, that's very frustrating because uh, I, I I can see just the extra work that's going to have to go into like backtracking and trying to figure out uh, what what you've missed. Um, and other big peeves um, also. Uh, the, the, the biggest, the biggest mistake is thinking that everything is available on Google. Um, Google's an amazing tool. Um, but, uh, uh, definitely not everything is available on Google. There are uh, more and more stuff that is good for writing an essay is you can find on Google, uh, but there's still stacks of books, articles, things which just aren't out there. And so you need to go to a library, which is basically your little private collection of good stuff um, and uh, root around in there um, for um, uh, a lot of material. Hmm. Yeah, I know it, we've, um, we've, we've talked when we've been talking in class about Google Scholar as like the next step yep. from Google as, as a natural progression. If, you, if you're comfortable with Google and you know how it works, Google Scholar is a good leap. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you could tell a little bit about the difference between how those two work in case someone's not not seen them before. Yeah. Um, so uh, Google is has a yeah you know, some really cool uh, algorithms behind it uh, that basically know that if you're if you type in Tesco, you're probably interested in finding out where the nearest store is, what their opening hours are, where the online shopping is. Um, they're designed for the average person in the street. Um, but when you're doing academic research, uh, you've got different questions in your mind. Um, so Google Scholar is, uh, has those algorithms. It's only thinking, okay, you need to have academic articles or academic books. Um, I'm going to present you with 
books, uh, the, a list of those materials. I'm going to tell you whether you can access them freely on the internet or whether maybe you can't, but I'll give you the details and then you can look in your own library to see whether they're available. Um, and instead of thinking in terms of, okay, uh, Tesco, use the Tesco example again. Um, everyone is, uh, everyone who asks this question wants these answers. It won't know what you're researching and people were researching lots of different stuff. Uh, hopefully uh, you, you're working on a fairly unique thing for your own research. Um, so instead it lists them in terms of, uh, what has been most cited. And cited means what has been mentioned in other articles. Um, mm -hmm. and so that puts the gen, like, so again, um, an article that is generally of interest to people, uh, who are doing research on Tesco, um, will come at the top. So what did other people on Google Scholar find useful rather than what did the average man in the street Absolutely. find useful? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the other things, it gives you a few tools, uh, Google, one of the nice things about Google is it has like n no features at all. One big box, you type in what you're looking for. It'll give you its best guess answers, uh, results. Google Scholar gives you a few more tools to specify kind of how old the article you, uh, you're interested in. Um, citations there's a few extra tweaks that you can do to um, maybe narrow your uh, search down a bit um, uh, and those are quite useful when you're doing kind of hardcore research mm -hmm. yeah i guess the the, 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 um, the term that i heard about google's design that one big search box is like don't half ass one thing whole ass one <laughs> don't half ass two things whole ass one thing um and that's that's that, that's better don't don't try and be a fusion restaurant it, be a really good specific uh, cuisine or something like that but uh and, and i think that's when, when you were saying about things like how recent the article is how, how that those kind of search terms i guess that depends like you say what you're researching if you're hmm. researching you know viking conquest of of greenland that's probably going to be accurate whether it's 10 years old or 50 years old yeah. Or, or, or this week. Yeah. Whereas if you're looking at the frontiers of artificial intelligence, that might change week on week because it's, it's, it's a field that's currently being developed and, and the truth is ever, ever changing because it's, because the latest thing. Yeah. Redefines what the, what the, what the edge is. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, so do, again, that's a really useful tool to have. Uh, one thing you mentioned there was that it'll tell you where to find it in your library. That seems, if it's on Google Scholar, haven't you already found it? How does that work? So, uh, some things you'll have a link directly to them because it might be, um, open access, which means the, uh, publisher has, uh, the author has put it up on the internet to be freely read by anyone who's interested. Um, uh, a lot of, a lot of people do that because they want stuff. They want people to read them. Um, and if, uh, depending on what their contractual obligations are, you know, if they can, they'll probably put it up. Um, but, uh, a lot of things will be references to, uh, journals, which are closed. Uh, so, so those might, there are still probably a few journals out there that are just hard copy. Um, and then you only can go read them if you happen to have 
access to them in your hard, you know, physical library building. Um, but more likely it's that there's a, uh, a please log in here button somewhere on the page. Um, possibly with somewhere below, below it, uh, another button saying, if you don't have access, please hand over your credit card details. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you are out in, uh, the business world or, um, you know, uh, perhaps a, a, a researcher, but yeah, PhD researcher and, uh, uh, heavily into it, you might be willing to put your hand in your pocket and get your credit card details out if you really wanted to read it. Uh, but as an undergraduate, uh, generally you don't have a spare 25 pounds to blow on an article, which let's face it is probably not the most riveting read in the world. It's a, it's a, what something you're reading because your, your, your essay. Um, so and you might not know if it's, you might not know if it's going to be useful because you haven't read it yet. So you might not want to spot, it might be many, many 25 pounds before you find the article you actually wanted. Yes. Yes. Um, so, uh, uh, conveniently, um, your university will have provided you with a, a library. Um, and in that library, the, the library, uh, services team have made kind of best guesses as to what people might be interested in and, uh, arranged for, um, uh, mostly databases, um, but arranged access to those databases. Uh, so that you as a student, um, can, uh, log in, uh, through the, the, uh, the university's, uh, login systems, uh, log into those databases and have a good old, uh, route around, um, uh, for free and not have to, um, uh, worry about expenses. Um, and, um, generally, uh, unless you're doing something a little off the wall, um, working within the things that are available within those databases is going to be uh, more than sufficient for writing a an excellent undergrad uh, uh, essay. Um, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing is that people people might get a bit wary if you're saying things like, "Oh no, first you need to make sure that your university's database credentials are in the uh, are inside your browser specifics." But if you say if you're trying to get someone to watch something and it's on Netflix and you say, oh, it's okay, you can use my Netflix password, people instantly understand how that works. There's a subscription that someone's paid for and that subscription gets you access to the content. And I guess it's similar. So if you go like, to the Journal of Nature or something, I don't know if it's a paid journal or not, but but if you, if you go to a particular journal, what you're doing is you're logging in using the university's password. But that, and, and that's, what, that's what they've paid for. They've paid for lots of students to be able to log in using their password. Yes. Um, I, I, li- I like and to get to the content. I like that idea. So uh, the, the really good analogy, which the, uh, as uh, the, the way you put it, so there's lots of stuff on YouTube for free, but not everything you want to watch. So at some point you're going to say, uh, you know, I want to get access to Netflix, but that's going to cost me money. And then you're like, um, yeah. Uh, ha- Do you have a friend who's got Netflix already? <laughs> yeah. Buy their so the university is your friend in this uh, uh, holding mm-hmm. the passwords. Yes. Fantastic, fantastic. And paying the bills. And, and Google's quite, <laughs> yeah. And obviously because this is all um, legitimately done, this is what, what 
universities are paying the journals for, for their students to have access. Um, Google Scholar helps you out with this. Mm. So you mentioned that as well, that Google might know that this article exists, but it's locked. But you can actually tell Google, well, I'm at Pearson College or I'm at Big Uni or I'm at whichever university you're at. And it'll say, oh, actually, your library has a copy of it here. Yes. And it'll, it'll, it'll add that information in, which is quite useful, I assume. Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably a, a good little trick for people to know if they, if, if they're not aware of it already. Um, if you go into Google Scholar settings, so, uh, scholar.google.com or code UK, uh, and then into the settings, which is a little cogwheel, um, somewhere in there, there's a, there's on the drop down, there's a library links. And you go in there and you type in the name of your uh, uh, university, so Pearson College London, if you're a, a member of Pearson College London, um, and then it'll uh, basically say, okay, right, you you want me to tell you if anything's available from Pearson College London, in the Pearson College London library. And um, most universities will have done a, bit, a bit of work in the background to hook up their library with Google's search tools. Um, and then Google Scholar will tell you um, whether or not it's available uh, in your library. So on the when you get your results up, you've got your list of articles and books. On the right-hand side of the screen, there'll be something which will perhaps indicate whether it's um, uh, it, it's available in your library. And you can have many uh, if you if you happen to have access to a couple of different libraries. Um, it will um, kind of you can put in tell Google to tell you whether it's available in various libraries, um, and it's very good. It's not everything, so perhaps in a list of you know, a list of results of maybe what you get about ten on a page, um, maybe only perhaps one or two are going to be available in your library. Um, mm. uh, but that's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also, crucially, there'll be stuff in the library that isn't on the search results because there might be stuff in the library that Google doesn't have in its... Yes. Probably has it somewhere in its archives because they've got everything at the moment, I think. But there might be stuff that Google just doesn't have listed because your library has access to things that Google hasn't negotiated control of it or, or yes. connections to or things like that. Uh, so you still have to check your own library because there might be stuff there that wasn't on Google. Absolutely. Um, the Google's clever, but it's, it's, it's still not omnipotent. omnipotent. Um, uh, and sometimes even if it is, knows it, it doesn't necessarily kind of put two and two together. So uh, if you've exhausted Google Scholar, um, and still not found what you're really after, uh, it's still worth going and having a look around the, the library, go to the library's search pages and uh, do some searching, or possibly some databases don't hook up with the whole system. And so you might, like uh, we have a database called Statista, uh, which is a statistics database, um, and that just doesn't hook into the whole library search systems or the Google search systems. So if you want statistics, you'll need to go into the database and then do a search for what you're after. Yeah. But again, most universities have the password for Statista. You just have to go in yes. via the library. Yes. Excellent. Fantastic. It's really interesting. 
Uh, good. So, and, and, and going from that, obviously we've got, you, you've, you've got the articles you, you're looking for. You've, you've, you've used Google Scholar or you've used the library to find things. I guess the other thing that libraries have that Google Scholar doesn't have, and this is where we get to use your, uh, your Mexican wrestling name. They have the librarian, which is or all librarians, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, a team of intelligent agents working to make it easier for you. So you might have created areas of stuff. Uh, obviously we have reading lists. Um, now yeah. that's someone putting the effort in to do the searches for you to, to, to arrange and curate information for you in the library. And that's something libraries have that, that Google Scholar doesn't have and couldn't have because it doesn't know what you're doing on the course. It doesn't know how it's working. So how do those kind of things interact with a student's experience? Yeah. Um, so, uh, reading this is an interesting one because that's a, often a combination of the tutor and the uh, librarian working together to, um, kind of give you a, a guided tour to like the most interesting things. So if you were um, being a tourist, um, they'd be the tour guide taking you through and pointing out, here's a really interesting article on XYZ. Here's an interesting book you might want to read. Um, they've done the journey already. Um, so they can kind of point out the edited highlights uh, to you to save you having to in, the, you know, you go to, uh, out there searching for stuff and you know that there's a, a million things out there. So um, hunting around all of that is going to take you huge amounts of time. So um, a reading list is really good because the tutor who knows their stuff it can point out the, the, the most efficient way of kind of spending your time. Read this, read this, uh, look at this video. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've worked together when we've been putting the reading list together. Um, I'll say something like, I found, I found this article, which is behind this paywall. Do we have access to it? Can we buy it? Can we put it in the library? And it might be that, that because you are obviously soaking in library seven days a week, um, you say, well, actually, this article is an old version of this article. There's a much newer version by the same author who's updated his critique, and that's here. And you can go and look at this one instead. So, so again, that, that kind of, that extra level of service you get. In a real library, in a, in a real library, over and above a regular web search, is that is you've got people like 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 you guys, like the other tutors, um, working to find you the best possible thing to read and trying to so- remove barriers. You know, unfortunately, we live in a world with passwords and everything, but um, librarians do everything they can to uh, avoid kind of putting unnecessary passwords and things in front of you. So. Um, uh, and doing whizzy things behind the scenes, building these uh, rather long um, uh, web URL strings uh, to enable you just to get to the stuff. What we want you to do is just to do to you know click through and do the reading, and not have to faff around with logging in or um, yeah. In the old days searching around on shelves uh trying to find the book and you know spending half the day searching for the stuff and then you know running out of time to actually read it what we want you to do is read it <laughs> that's the useful mm. thing yeah yeah so searching for books is not the skill in fact even reading the books isn't the skill we want you to get what we want you to get is the knowledge that's inside the books <laughs> into your head if we could download it like in the matrix that would be much easier yeah yeah that's the best so, we've come uh, up with so that's so what we're trying to get you to. Mm. <laughs> yes yeah so you found your stuff and you've, 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 you've found an article. Um, obviously this article could be 20, 30 pages long. It's a, it's a dense academic paper about something that you might only tangentially be studying. Are there any 
techniques you can use to to start off reading something like that just to work out whether it's worth reading the rest so you're going to come across yeah all sorts of uh, things um and your first step rather than read the whole article and then figure out whether it was interesting or not um is to do a quick scan and there's various tools um that uh along the way so it, Possibly your library system or possibly Google Scholar even will give you a little bit of information about the, about the article. Um, uh, a little summary. Um, the, the article itself may have an abstract at the top of it, which is a, uh, basically a condensed version of the article. And so you spend, yeah, you could just be spending like five seconds scanning through it. Is that relevant to uh, the topic I, I'm doing? Um, if it is, then you put it on the okay to read pile. Uh, and if it isn't, uh, you just move on. Um, and part of becoming a good researcher is to develop your efficiency in just like sifting through, right? Interesting, not interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and keep moving. Um, then if you th if it looks interesting, um, you kind of take a look at it and then um i would probably kind of quickly scan through the whole article just just you know if if it, if it was printed out i'd be kind of flicking through the pages uh spending you know, a second a page uh just to is this still talking to me what are the what are the headings if it's broken down into section headings you know are those section headings sounding interesting to me um and uh, if it's not, obviously, then we, we, we put it on the, uh, uh, like, we can forget about it pile. Um, if it's still interesting, um, it might, I might not need to read the whole article. Um, unlike, you know, a fiction book, storybook, um, you don't need to read the whole article to make the most, uh, get what you need out of it. Um, you, you know, it might only be the, section with a bit of discussion about the concept that you're interested in or the company that you're interested in or whatever. Uh, so read that. If you, if, if you then make a judgment or, or you might then make a judgment call to, okay, actually that was really good. Let's read the whole thing and get a bit more context because that might help me throw some extra stuff into my essay kind of might, might help me give some context in my essay. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that, that the interesting, the, the really interesting thing there, I think that people wouldn't see, or at least wouldn't assume without being told it, is that there's two steps. There's finding stuff to read, and then there's scanning it. Oh, there's four, more, more than more than two steps, but, def, but definitely breaking apart the finding stuff and the reading stuff. And I guess that that ties in with what you said with your pet peeves, in that that's where knowing what you've found becomes much more important yes. because you can say, ah, okay. So I'll put, cause what if you've got an interesting list that you've written down um, and obviously you might be doing this on paper, but you might be doing this just by copying and pasting links mm -hmm. um, into a, into a notepad or into some kind of to-do list program or something like that. Or you can stick them in the bottom of your essay and I get lots of drafts in and at the bottom is like a, a large collection of copied and pasted notes, yep. which is perfectly fine. Yep. Of things you might read of things you might be going to read. And the, the tricky part is that that filtering, that funnel 
because things don't always stay where they are in the funnel. So something might be not very interesting because you don't understand. You, know, you might, like you say, flicking through the contents, you might say, yada, 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 multidimensional space, what? Yada, 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 uh, vectors. And no, I don't, this, this isn't anything to do with machine learning that I'm trying to learn about. And you put it to one side, but then you read another paper about machine learning and it says, actually, there's been huge breakthroughs by using multidimensional space. And then you go, oh, actually, I saw that in another article. So you can go back up your notes. You can find that article. Uh, so yeah, that's a good point. Um, you're as you're reading you're learning and it's going to be a journey and um as as you're reading these things you'll become you'll understand your subject better and so you might see the the links between different articles um and uh things will become clearer if if that isn't the case um yeah there would be no point doing the reading uh, in the first place that the reading is new information coming in and um uh, uh, so you might well kind of want to retrace your steps uh, a bit because you'll you'll have spotted something earlier which might not have been particularly relevant before. Or those articles where you found a little bit of interest and then you've not realised why they've been talking about something else. Um, you've not you've not understood the relevance of what the author was trying to to, to say before. Yeah, I mean that 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 point there that reading is is getting new information is really key because because a lot I know I know a lot of students will will try and do try and cover what's in the course and then they'll try and find quotes to back it up, but they they already know the thing they're trying to say they're just trying to find the quote mm. to back up you know so that, so that so it's referenced yeah. And, and obviously, it, it's good to have references, and it's, it, it, you, know, you need to reference the stuff, even if you know it off the top of your head. You can't say because I know this. That's that's not what we're doing in academic writing. But but the idea is, you are learning new stuff. You're not you're not just retreading what's in the course. We want you to we want to read it we, we, when we're marking this. We want to be able to read these essays and go, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, what a fantastic way of applying that theory. I didn't know they were working on this. You know, the more research you've done that can bring interesting new stuff to your essay you'll write better and you'll probably get better marks because you'll be you'll be bringing more ideas in yes which is obviously what we're trying to teach you to do we're trying to teach you to apply ideas in different contexts and and, and in different situations this might be a good point where we to, to talk about referencing um in so you've written your your essay um the reason the tutor your tutor wants you to include re references is apart from being able to check that you've kind of read good sources and to, to build confidence in the work that you've done, um, it's also they may have a personal interest in it and they want to know where to go to find more. Um, so uh, the reason you write, or one of the reasons you write references is to give the person who's reading it kind of instructions on where to go find out more information uh, you're giving them directions the, the address book of of where to to go to uh, find more um, and that also works for you as a reader when you're doing your research let's say you found a, a really hot article bang on topic very interested like you know um, or where did they go to find all their information or who else is writing about this uh, big tip you know look at the references and you know those are going to be uh, potentially solid gold you know there's a oh 
I wish this is really interesting, but I wish they were instead of talking about this theory and how it's been applied in America, were writing about how it was applied in Britain. Uh, look at the references. If there's an article on so and so's theory and how how it's been used in uh, uh, British companies, uh, you know, then <laughs> uh, that's that's probably an article I'd, I want to go read. Mm. Yeah, it might be a, a back a step, forward a step. So from mm. from looking at this particular theory applied in America to the original paper on that theory. And then once you know the author of that original theory and the, the, the name of the theory and the terminology, you can go and look for that with the word UK stuck on the end of the search. And then, then you've got the same. You've used the, the American article to get to the gene generic and then from that generic theory back to the specific economy or the specific topic that you're looking at. Yeah, there's no, there's no neat route on doing research. Um, if you're doing anything interesting, um, you probably want to do a bit of pinging back and forth and kind of, uh, it's, a, it's going to be a wiggly, wiggly line. Um, um, and that's all right. I mean, and that's just part of research. And uh, some people get really freaked out about it because they just want a nice straight line. Um, but you kind of uh, enjoy, enjoy the journey. Um, and I like, uh, like to use the, the, the tourism um, analogy, um, you know, that you're you're just exploring a, the country's uh, side, taking in the scenery, um, and you know, wandering around a bit. And some bits are going to be amazing and like bang on topic. Other bits are going to be mm, okay. That was interesting, but you know, perhaps not not quite what I wanted to uh, write for this. Uh, article and you're never going to see everything you will always hopefully finish your essay thinking there's probably a bit more uh, out there that i would be you know i'd like some more questions in my head that i would like to find answers to yeah yeah you, you want to treat it if, if you are that that, that tourist just to, to push the metaphor to break you want to be the um you you, you want to be the person who, who who leisurely wanders around the louvre and then has a has a sidewalk coffee and and moves on to you know re re really soaks up the atmosphere of Paris. You don't want to be the person who wants who just runs around Paris trying to get nine selfies. One at the Eiffel Tower, one at the Arc de Triomphe, one with the Mona Lisa. You've not all you've done is been running yeah. to the place all the way through. You've not actually had any experience. You've just hit all the tick boxes. Yeah, um, and that that's is that experience. Um, the, the, the last podcast guest we had on, Philip Newton, was talking about how experiencing things and doing things. So, so reading a bit and then thinking how that applies to stuff or, or um, talking about it with someone else and trying to explain it to someone else. All that stuff is what builds understanding and, and, and knowledge at a lower level than just trying to find a fact. Yeah. And then going, right, I've got a fact, it's in this book, and then moving on to the next place. What you're looking for is those deeper understandings, that, that, that framework. Um, I think Phil called it a schema. Mm -hmm. of higher level cognition yeah so yeah i love that tourist tonight that's really good good <laughs> it's a little bit more accessible than the kind of research terminologies <laughs> mm. yeah definitely definitely uh excellent so i mean and, and the other thing that i've found with the um with finding references or using other people's references um is it's quite a good jumping point from from pop pop sources to academic sources um, I have two kids, as anybody listening to this podcast knows. Um, I do a lot of time with, with an earphone in, with one earphone in, listening to podcasts. So when I'm not recording them, I'm listening to them. And that means it, it's a good podcast. You know, the BBC um, do some excellent podcasts. The Economist Radio is fantastic. Uh, Freakonomics. They have academic sources behind the podcast. 
Right? It's presented in a very mm, friendly, yeah. entertaining way. But you can listen to it while you're doing other things. And then if something's interesting, you go, okay, I can't cite the Freakonomics podcast as a reference, but I can go and look at the Freakonomics website where that reference is, where the paper that we're talking about is listed. And then I can go and find find something from there. Um, and that's that's kind of something quite quite useful, I guess. Uh, what about authors? Is that another way of jumping from one piece of work to another? Yeah. Um, uh, often researchers um, kind of specialize in particular areas. Um, so if you've got, again, someone who's really on topic, um, it might be worth looking at what other papers they've written. Uh, sometimes it might be that, that it's actually on the, exactly the same thing, but often authors kind of reuse work uh, in different ways. So they might have written a whole book on a subject. Um, and uh, that may, the article may have been written before or after, but there might be an article. And it, when you're short on time, um, an article uh, might be a lot more um, you know, uh, efficient way of getting the information. Um, they may also have written, uh, depending on the, the sort of thing it is, they may have written some kind of more accessible uh, articles, but people write in different ways. So they might write a whole book or a very detailed article for people who are specialists in the area and, um, um, you know, researching, PhD researching uh, stuff themselves. And then they might write uh, shorter articles for, um, you know, uh, people who are uh, uh, undergraduate researchers, perhaps. Um, and then they may also write more pop pieces, as we might call it, in um let's say more accessible journals. So if you were a, a scientist, you might read uh, the new scientist, or uh, if you're an economist or business person, you might read the economist. Uh, these are very readable articles. Um, uh, you know, you don't need a PhD to understand them. They're written to, for uh, the, the average person to be able to, to read. And um, those might be, also, uh, those might be a starting point. You might then say, okay, good. Get the, I get the idea now. Now I'll go read the heavyweight article um, and kind of really kind of um, I'll be able to get the, uh, the, the full flavor of it, of it all. Yeah, I think I've been I've been at um, at parties, um, and when I explain what's going on, you'll think things are really exciting parties. I've been at parties when I when I've been talking to other computer scientists, and a non computer scientist is the third person in the conversation, and you can see them kind of getting more and more lost because you can talk a lot quicker to someone who ha who knows all the same terminology that, that you do, who knows the kind of the way the system works, um, whereas whereas that 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 path to get into the to get into the topic might be in something like the economist they might say um uh, Deloitte brackets a consultancy close brackets because you don't know who mm -hmm. Deloitte is Where, whereas yeah. in a more academic journal they'd never bother saying that because everyone would know who was reading that level of journal yes so again it might be a few steps to get to the point where that paper that's really really good which is on your interesting list but that you've You've tried to go at it three or four times and just not made any progress. After a couple of articles from a more uh, a more accessible journal, like The Economist, or or even just rewatching re the lectures or re you know some exercise you do in seminar, then you go back to that and you go, ah, oh, now it makes a lot more sense because I've understood, I've got the terminology, I've got the basics of of how of how things are happening. 
So that's, that's really that's really interesting. Um, what about stuff that isn't in the library? Because obviously now libraries are um, are no longer bricks and mortar in a lot of places. They're all digital. Um, but that gives us access to lots more stuff um, in, in terms of, you know, there's lectures online, there's, there's videos, there's seminars that you can watch again. Um, how has the shift to digital opened up more options for people? Um, yeah. So again, there's a lot of self-publishing, um, where authors, they've spent, yeah, a long time writing uh, a piece of work and they, they, they desperate for people to read it. So a lot of people will make stuff available, um, on the internet, um, through open access, um, uh, repositories. Um, so you can get stuff for free, uh, without necessarily, um, uh, accessing the library. Um, uh, there's also videos, which are a good starting point. Uh, we, you mentioned videos there, um, good video materials, which perhaps are a, a little bit, or podcasts as you, um, another thing, which are good introductions to a subject, often kind of trying to explain it for, uh, the, you know, the lay person, to, um, uh, more conversational, um, um, it's still at the end of the day, you are still probably going to have to write an essay. Some, some institutions, you know, you do, um, work on, you might need to do a, a, a an oral uh, presentation. Um, but generally, uh, written essays, uh, uh, assignments are, um, the order of the day. So, um, Perhaps another, perhaps I should have listed it as a pet peeve, um, is it's still important to read academic articles and stuff to, to, to understand the, the lingo. Um, when you're writing an academic paper, you use different language than if you were explaining it to a friend. Um, and some people might see that as uh, a bit pretentious. Um, you know, I'm pretending to be an academic, uh, but, uh, the language is more precise. Um, and you need to, uh, you need to, it's a, it's a, it's a skill that you develop. And in, in a writing an undergraduate essay, you are, um, you know, that's your first efforts at, at writing in that particular style. And if you were to carry on into further research, or if you were to go out into, uh, go to biz, into business and be writing, you know, business reports, um, you need to write, write in a different way to the, if, if you were conversing with a friend. Um, and the only way of really getting your head around that to, to, to learn the words and the kind of phraseologies is to read other articles. And so I think, um, uh, that's a, that's a, a really important reason why you, you need to, the written word is still the, the main, um, way in which we convey detailed, very precise, uh, information. Mm. Yeah. I think the, the, one of the things that's on my pet peeve list is, is over poshing, mm. which is where people do what you're saying there and they, they're pretending to be academic by making it sound posher. And that isn't what you're saying. What you're saying is if you read actual academic papers, you'll be able to pick up the difference between using precise professional language and using language that sounds fancier. Yes. Which is, which, which are not the same thing. Yeah. You can, you can write an academic paper, which is, which is not using, you know, $10 million words unless you need it because it uses, it, it's specifically talking about 
one concept which that word is used for yeah or you're trying to talk from a more a more objective point of view so that's why first person isn't usually you know, there, there are some few ex- exceptions in reflective reports and stuff but mm-hmm. generally first person isn't used in, in academic professional writing because it doesn't sound it makes it much more my view and not the truth yes which is what you try to push forward usually in academic writing yeah and sadly it's uh, normally quite obvious when someone's really kind of really pretending and just trying trying mm. to throw in uh, fancy yeah. words um or even not pretending just just retrospectively trying to professionalize something they've written because I mean, it's because it's a different yeah. it's a different skill because if, if you're writing something from the third person and you're writing about something and, and you can't say i and we then then if you're writing it from scratch like that then it comes across quite well if you try and take the stuff that you've written i i i and then just replace it with it they the system the company you'll end up with a very weird sounding essay because it's it's trying to be first person but it's written in third person it doesn't really yeah fit yeah i think and, and, and also reading academic essays not all academic essays are brilliantly written no but the more you read you'll be able to say ah these are the good ones these are the bad ones yeah i want to write more like these guys yeah and not like these guys yeah um which is an interesting. Um, there's, there's a whole uh, there's a whole rant I could go on about. But I would let you. I would let you Google Stephen Pinker's rant instead because he is much more eloquent than me on this topic. And, and a textbook is a good source in this case. Textbooks tend to be written uh, v- very well. Uh, that's the reason why they're normally fairly expensive. Is because uh, it's not just being someone kind of quickly. R- you know, rattling something off, they've spent a lot of time thinking, how do I best explain this subject? Still use the, the right words, uh, but um, make it clear. Um, and so it's, uh, it's worth reading textbooks um, just to absorb that, that what is good writing uh, uh, mm. for this, this sort of thing. I mean, full disclosure, we both work for Pearson, which is one <laughs> yeah. of the biggest textbook selling companies in the world. But uh, but they're not they're not having a hand in this content of the podcast. That is actually a, a decent piece of advice. <laughs> uh, <Yep. laughs> fantastic. Um, right, so we're coming up to the end of our, 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 um, our allotted time. So uh, one thing I always like to finish is, um, obviously, we're, we're actually coming out of lockdown now. So maybe I should change the question. Uh, so my question is usually, what are your tips from for working at home and, and getting through lockdown? Um mm. But maybe maybe you can answer that one. But also maybe what was what have you been enjoying being able to do again? Good thing that we're we're coming out of lockdown um, this week. So my my lockdown thing has been uh, definitely getting outside uh, like once a day. It's actually you have to. I, I found I've had to push myself to go out for a, a walk around the block type of thing, um, but not necessarily for the exercise, but just for the mental well-being i have found it's improved my my mood just getting out and stretching my legs for a uh you know half an hour or so um so that and i noticed when i didn't go out i i, I was grumpy the, the following day so um that <laughs> is the that is a uh, uh definitely my my tip to myself um mm-hmm. and things i'm enjoying at the moment um oh, we're seeing some friends Barbecue on the mm-hmm. weekend, which was very nice. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, a bit of face to face time with people is, has been uh, is a. Uh, You've not been not been rushing out to libraries <laughs> to sit to sit in a nice dusty library in the sunshine. <laughs> I have to say, uh, I am 
very comfortable with online libraries and uh, they have proven uh, both from a work point of view and from a personal kind of perspective, great. It doesn't matter that uh, now everything I want is online or most of what I want is online. Uh, so uh, for libraries, it's, uh, you know, it's been business as uh, usual. And so for, for students at um, Pearson College and probably um, many of other of your listeners, you know, they still be able to get hold of all the, the, the materials that they've needed for their research um, uninterrupted. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Chris. That's uh, that is really good, really useful. Thank Amazing. You. Thank you very much. Thanks Chris. Cheers. 